Cormac, what is your best childhood memory? For me, the best memory I have as a child is the time my mother came into the room and we were in bed, I think at like four in the morning or something, and just she turned on the light and just woke us up. She said, we're going to America. I was like, Jesus. I think we were, I was seven at the time. And it was just uh, eight. Eight. eight, was it? Yeah. Yeah, so it was eight at the time. I just remember that excitement of going to America, like at that age, I don't even know if I'd been anywhere before that, maybe England. And it was for like three weeks. I didn't believe her at the start, but I just remember that excitement feeling like this was another world I was going to because you'd see America in the movies and stuff like that. And it was just a, a pure excitement. And it was like a couple of weeks coming up to Christmas. So, but it was like uh, the best Christmas ever, I suppose. And yeah, I just remember that as being such a good memory. And I think because I was maybe escaping this world that I found myself in and going to a new world was just, for me, that was kind of magic, I suppose, in many ways. So, yeah. And the trip itself was amazing. It seemed like mm. we were there for three months, not just three years, or not just three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so that, that was my best memory, I think. So hopefully I've got this right. In December 2020, you wrote a vision for Ireland's education, 2030. I found this piece really enlightening and insightful and would love you to share some of those insights into why and how our schools are failing our young people. Yeah, so I wrote that article. Basically, for years I was thinking about how the education system doesn't help us become who we truly are or learn about ourselves at all, really, as individuals. And looking at it from the perspective of my own life, I actually did well in school and like kind of suited me because I was good at those subjects like maths, these type subjects and business and physics or whatever it was, things with logical answers because I was quite logical thinking. So it's someone said to me before, it's like, it's funny how you're the one that's thinking that needs to be changed when you actually did quite well in school and found it quite easy. But where I struggled was after leaving secondary school, I lost my identity almost. I didn't know who I was. So when I went to college, none of my friends came with me. They went to different places. And I remember talking to people like even girls or new people I was meeting and they'd like kind of ask you about yourself. And I was like, I didn't really know what I liked. I didn't really know what I was passionate about. I didn't know didn't have my too many opinions on things because I'd always up to that point just kind of went with the opinion of the crowd and you know I say watched football because all the lads watch football but I never actually stopped to think do I like watching football or why do I do the things I do it was more just fitting into the group because I always just wanted to be I think a lot of people have that drive as humans we have that drive to be part of the group and I just want to be part of it and I had plenty of friends which was fine but when I went away I still made new friends but I just didn't know who I was so I think that was that was for me the struggle and I struggled with my confidence as well so for me I thought we need to teach young people how to love themselves let them discover who they are like what they like to do their values what they want to do in with their future instead of just listening to what everyone else is saying like I kind of did 
like I followed a career in, into IT thinking that's what I wanted to do because I was good at those subjects, but never really having the space to question, is this really what I want to do? Or am I just doing it because everyone else says it's a good job or that's where I'll be successful or that's where I'll make money. So looking at it from that point of view, I decided to write that article and I suppose some of the things in it were pointing out the fact that school only allows us to explore two types of intelligences, which are the logical, as we're saying, like mathematics and the linguistic, so like languages. There's like seven different types of intelligences that are laid out and school only attributes for about two of them. That's one thing. And then another big thing is that fear of failure that is instilled in us throughout school. We are instilled with this fear of failing a test as if failing is something to be avoided. Whereas in real life, that doesn't serve you very well because if you want to do anything, like set up a business, become a musician, you know, do a triathlon, try a sport, you're going to fail along the way. And it shouldn't be seen as something that's wrong. It should be seen as a necessary step to growth. So like failure is only learning. And I feel like school makes us fear failure and it gives us grades like it, we're graded like machinery rather than you know seeing as a whole individual it's like you get an f or an e or a d and you're now labeled as a d student or an f student or even labeled as an a student but that's not who you are that's just a label that we put on young people at such an early age that they start to believe these limitations so if i believe i'm like a D or a C student, I, I don't believe that I'm capable of what the A students are capable of, even though they're being judged, we're being judged on such a small piece of intelligence, which is like memory, really. Mm. And there's no real insight into who you really are at the core and discovering about yourself. And another thing, like even getting up and speaking in public, like we don't even speak in school, rarely, like you sit in class and you listen. To the teacher who tells you what's right and what's wrong listen to these books where a lot of the stuff is still up for debate but it's assumed as fact you can't question the books there's no room for critical thinking so we're just told this is the way it is we're kind of brought up with this belief that we just obey rules regardless of whether we believe in them or not and we just take everything as fact instead of questioning things and being curious about things and having discussions on things. And I think that's what the young people of the future are going to need. They're going to need to question our leaders of today. They're going to need to question the societies we live in, the way we do things. And it's building that curiosity that we need in young people, building that ability to think critically on things and not label things as black or white and see the, the different areas of grayness within that and being confident in who they are and knowing what they're about and what their passions are, and what their values are. Like I never heard of values until I left school. So I didn't know what was important to me. So they're just some of the things it's the article goes in to depth a bit more on the different areas. It breaks it down a bit and then has a vision for what we'd like to see as education for the future in Ireland. And Wolf Academy is aiming to start that, get that ball moving. We came up with the concept recently of creating a living cert 
the one one of the women that works with us, Yvonne Doherty, she came up with the this phrase, the living cert, and then another fellow, Tom Blade, who works with us as well, he wanted to create a video around that just to promote that idea because I think it does capture what's needed in schools is something that you can learn to live your life after school. The things you need to learn, like your purpose, how to find your purpose, how to overcome anxiety, how to overcome depression, how to know your values. So that's what we want to create. And it's not about getting rid of the leaving cert. Well, not straight away anyway, because that's not going <laughs> to fly. But it's it's just incorporating this other side where we focus on the individual and they can create the person they want to become. Because from chatting with loads of people we've just seen after secondary school, there seems to be that loss of identity. A lot of people have their kind of crisis around 17, 18. Because they don't know who they are. They don't know where they're going. School's kind of said, we're getting you ready for life, but you're just not ready. You just, you're, you're lost. And especially in this day and age where everything seems to be collapsing around us, like the climate crisis, you have what's going on at the minute. And I think it's just so confusing for young people. And there's so many options out there as well that they just, it can be overwhelming at times to know what they want to do with their futures. So we just want to support them in discovering who they are first. And then when you discover who you are, you can learn to love yourself and then you can learn to discover what you want to do with your future. Brilliant. It's a brilliant answer. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I got into the flow there. <laughs> I'll give you an A plus for that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so after you left school, is that right? You worked, you worked in IT. What did you learn? about yourself in that environment and did you see some of the same problems and issues that exist in schools in that work environment definitely that's a great question because it did reflect that environment in school where you had to conform to this set of rules that restricted your freedom in expressing who you want who you are so i felt the main thing for me, I felt, was a lack of freedom because when I was turning up to my IT job, there's almost like certain unwritten rules and expectations of how you present yourself. So I remember my manager asked me before, like on a Monday, like, oh, how was your weekend? And I was just thinking, I am not going to tell her what I got up to at the weekend because she's just going to be like, Jesus, you're a bit mad. But uh, so I felt like I had to almost pretend to be this really professional, you know, straight laced guy, like drink, like a few drinks at the weekend or whatever. It was like, you know, accepted or whatever. But as well as that, we had to like clock into work, you know, it was like a time card. So like they knew when you're in work and they knew when you're leaving and you, you just felt like being in school again. So it's like, you can only leave at six o'clock and you have to be there at nine o'clock. And I just felt almost trapped in a place, which I quickly realized after a couple of months, I didn't want to be, but Everyone else was like, it's a good job. It's, you know, good money. You get promoted after two years. And that's kind of keeps you in the, the, the race, I suppose, because you're always chasing that, that next promotion. But I just felt very trapped. And I suppose the school kind of represents that as well, where it's like, you have to be here. And for me, there was something calling in me that I needed to get out and just travel. I suppose it took me a while to actually listen to that intuition because you know, my logical mind was still quite strong at the time. So I kind of just be like, no, Cormac, this is a good job. Stay here. 
like or maybe stay for a couple of years and then see and then i did after two years i just said i had to quit another thing i think it how it resembled school was i felt like it was limiting my potential because i was working in a big it company so i was only a small cog in a much bigger wheel and none of my ideas would really be listened to in terms of you know maybe we should do things this way or you know when you're you're just there for a specific role which is quite repetitive and it got very boring after a while like some of my biggest struggles in work was trying to stay awake or trying to look busy because i was so bored mm. so i think for me it just that kind of resembled school where i think we kind of mm. were sitting in classrooms for eight hours a day and we're just bored and trying to stay awake and we're just not touching into that potential that we have to you know express ourselves or even what we're doing now like speaking on a podcast like i get to express ideas like i felt i could never do that in that work environment or in school so it's really freeing to be able to do that in in what we do now yeah creativity yeah just non-existent in those environments mm. fantastic um so the next thing was uh, i forgot this right but you set up a, a pizza sunday club helping homeless people in dublin can you tell me a bit about that experience and maybe a story that captures the darkness of being homeless and a story of that and the humour and joy that people can have despite the difficulty of the situation. I don't know if that, if that resonates as a question, but. Yeah, definitely. So that started when, as I said, I didn't find fulfilment in that job in IT, but I was still going to work every day in Dublin city. And I was passing this man on the street every day. And I remember looking at him one day and just being like, why does that man have nothing and I have everything? Like, you know, I had this job and money and a nice apartment and I was wearing a nice suit and I felt I wasn't fulfilled, but like on the surface, I had all this stuff and amazing people in my life. But this man had nothing. And I just thought, how is that fair? And I was like, someone should help him. I was like, the, geez, the government should do something. And then I just thought, well, Connor, why can't you do something to help this one man? You have money, you have ideas, you have time, like you can do something. So I, it was coming up to Christmas and myself and my friend Martin Connolly decided to skip a 12 pubs at Christmas and spend the money we would have spent in the pub on buying pizzas instead. And we went around Dublin City for that, that day and just sat down with people on the street and chatted with them and offered them pizza and listened to their stories and just see, tried to see if there was any way we could help them. Mm. And we realised that just by sitting there and listening to their stories that they appreciated that so much that someone actually cared enough to take the time to stop. And it was such an amazing experience for us as well, because they were so honest with their stories. Like they didn't, like I was saying about in work where I felt I had to pretend to be this straight laced guy on the streets. There was no, none of that bullshit. You know, there was, they were just authentic and real. They just tell you the good, the bad. If they were on drugs, they tell you, if they weren't, they say, this is what happened to me. You know, they just shared their stories bare. And I just found that so uh, refreshing coming from that IT world. And then, yeah, we just decided we wanted to do it every week. So we set it up on Grafton Street every week. We set up a table then and we got a load of people got involved. Like we got loads of volunteers and Domino's and Apache Pizza started sponsoring us with pizzas. And we got music down to make it a kind of a, we wanted to create a fun environment and a social environment where we were bringing 
the two communities together, those who were on the streets and those who weren't, because we felt there was a separation there and wanted to create that community. And we did it for like a couple of years and it was amazing just being able to hold that space for them where they, we could all talk and just be real with each other. And it even helped a lot of people like myself. I used to always feel better coming away from that because, you know, I was sharing some of my stuff too with them. So it kind of worked both ways. It wasn't just us helping those in the streets. They also helped us in so many ways. But there was dark moments too. There was one story in particular, as you asked there, the one that sticks out for me. Fuck me. Um, I feel like emotional thinking about it. But at the time... This guy came up and we were giving out socks and underpants. We, we got donations of money as well. We used to spend it on buying socks and underpants and anything else people needed. And I was handing them out to people who were coming up. And this man came up to me with his hands out in front. And he was had tears in his eyes. And he was just, his hands were burned, like red on the tips. And he was just saying how... The night before he was in his tent and someone lit it on fire. And he was just like in pain. Like he had burns on his chest as well. He said he went to the hospital, but they didn't keep him overnight or anything. They just gave him some tablets and he went off and he had to sleep on the streets again, but he had no tent. And he was just kind of coming to me with his hands open, asking for help. And I, yeah, emotional nearly thinking about it now, but at the time I actually was so I was almost numb to it because I had seen a lot of like people on the streets just like suffering. And I think I I knew I was there with a job to do, and I just told him my friend Teen was there, and I just goes, Go to Teen there and he'll help you. And I just kind of got on with the what I was doing because I just was almost I had to shut myself off from the emotional side of it. I wouldn't be able to do the work, which only on reflection, thought about it after, and I was like, holy shit, that was, that man was just in pain, and he was just looking me in the eye, and I, I almost just had to shut it off, and I kind of hand them on to someone else, because there was other people there to help, but that, for me, thinking back on it, was always one that sticks out to me, as someone's reality on the streets, now, there's, everyone has their own story, and I suppose that one man, like, I wanted, we wanted to help, I don't know, we might have got him a tent, or we might have had a spare tent to give him, but, I suppose that's the reality sometimes that on the streets and it's just it's kind of hard because like we I wanted to like help people off the streets you know and into housing but it was we tried and we tried different ways of doing that and raise money for houses and but we couldn't get them and it just it's such a deep problem and it's such a complex problem that after a while I was like I, I need to go away and do my own thing and like after a couple of years, I went and traveled and kind of discovered education was what I wanted to do because that's where the root of the problem lies. Because a lot of the people that were on the streets were ones who were, you know, they had tough childhoods. They just hadn't really dealt with the trauma they'd been through as children and our teenagers are growing up and tough family backgrounds. And I thought if we could give young people the tools they need then they wouldn't have to go down those paths. So it was kind of hard to leave it in one sense. I felt a bit of guilt, but at the same time, I knew I had to do what I was passionate about and what fulfilled me because I think it was nearly pulling me down, seeing all that suffering. And it was hard to stay positive in a, such a tough environment, I suppose. But yeah, that's kind of how that 
went and one of the stories that I always kind of remember. Awesome. Um, so yeah, the next one, to go back to what you were saying about when you went traveling. So I wondered what insights did you gain? Did you find journaling was helping you find your calling? And did you have to wrestle with negative self-talk when you were traveling? Yeah, so I was away for about two and a half years in total with a few trips home in between for different things. But I think the main things I used at the time were journaling and meditation. And I think that really helped me get loads of insights. Like it's hard to kind of sum them all up, but I felt like the main thing that I realized was coming from Pizza Sunday Club, you know, like helping people on the streets and we got a bit of like publicity for like, you know, we we're Irish Times and RTE news at one stage. And I felt that identity piece, like I felt almost like that was who I was now, you know, Cormac Noonan helping the homeless. And like I was doing it for good reasons, but I felt my ego had got attached to that identity, you know, and I felt better about myself because I was helping others. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but I felt when I went traveling, then I was nobody again. And, you know, I didn't really talk, I didn't talk about it much in fairness to people. Like I, w- I won't bring it up in conversation just because I suppose out of humility, like I still had humility around it, but I, my ego was attached to that idea that I am a great lad or whatever, because I do this stuff, you know? Um, and I felt when I went traveling, it was a real, like nearly again, it's like, question like after secondary school as I said I kind of didn't know who I was and again I was like right now it's time to like rediscover who you truly are and it was tough for a while because I was like I was working in a pub in Canada and I was had lots of time off so I I went to the beach a lot like living beside the beach and spent a lot of time in coffee shops like a lot of writing like I was writing a blog at the time journaling uh meditating a lot and I suppose in that time, a lot of those insecurities that maybe I had been avoiding through doing things all the time. I was always doing, I was always, you know, when I was going in college, I was doing my studies, playing football, and then I was doing pizza Sunday. I was always like giving and to everyone else and trying to do things to almost distract myself from looking at, at my flaw, my flaws and my faults. And Traveling, the main thing it gave me was that space to sit with those thoughts. And as you said, a lot of negative, a lot of more negative and like almost programmed into me just over the years, apparently maybe from school too, but just that lack of belief in myself or those things that I didn't think greatly of myself. And I just had to sit with them finally and think like, where are these coming from? And then how can I get over these? So that was the main realization I had was that it's like, you are not, pizza sunday club or you're not anything else you've achieved you're cormac noonan and you've a good heart and you have to get clear on what you value like i've really valued my relationships with people i did value helping others i did value learning like about things and i was i suppose for me it was just getting rid of that ego and just remembering who i am at the core and learning again to love myself which is a journey i'm still on today i just stuff coming up for me today that sometimes i'm like jesus christ when does this journey end like when do i get to that place where i am 
you know, I just fully love myself, you know, and I don't know if there's ever a place you get to. I think it's for me, like this journey I'm going on in life is just learning to love every piece of myself as I go through it, even the dark bits. And I suppose it's embracing the moments when I'm on the highs of the mount, you know, it's peaks and troughs and when i'm on the highs just embrace those and appreciate those because they don't last and you go back down and you have to learn and go through some of your shit and i'm just realizing over the last couple of years like there is many times i thought i was there it's like yeah i'm fully love myself now and then you come back and you're like shit what about this thing but i think traveling was like what started that for me and what started that journey of self-love and realizing that there was a lot of things I had been avoiding for most of my life and it was by not doing and just being, I was able to start accepting them and working through them. Um, is there a song that brings back memories from that adventure you went on? Yeah. So myself and my mate team, as I mentioned earlier, we, we were living in Canada together and we bought a van. So we worked for like a year in pub in the West coast of Canada and Victoria. And I did a bit of construction and stuff as well there just to save up for the van. And then we went on a journey across Canada and down into the States. And it was a dream. One of the dreams I've always had was, I wrote it down actually years before, was to travel around the States with one of my best mates in the van or some of my mates in the camper van. And it was amazing to actually get to do that. And I think it relates back to what I said earlier about school and work where I just felt this lack of freedom. And in the van, it was just the opposite. It was like pure freedom. Like Tim still says it to me today. He's like, I still think back to that van and the freedom I felt like I've never felt anything like that because you are, you know, all your belongings are in that van and you can go anywhere. You, you don't have to have any plan. Like we had saved up money in the bank and we had just a direction. We just said, we're going to head east to the East Coast of Canada and see what happens. We didn't end up there. We ended up down in Georgia in the south east of America. So that just shows the unpredictability of the journey. But the one song I remember from that trip was called Renegades. And I just can't remember the name of the band now. Um, but and one of the lines from the song is long live the pioneers, rebels and mutineers. I just remember that the rebels, so something about rebelling against the norm and going out and doing something like that and experiencing that freedom, not being constricted by a job or a mortgage or any of these things that society tells us we need. Uh, that was just a memory for me that I'll always cherish and something I can always tap into that freedom. So even like when I feel like say now I'm back in Ireland, like starting a business, like the responsibilities, I've come back since I've came home, but I'll always remember that freedom in the van and that song just reminds me of that. Yeah, brilliant. Um, so there's a writer called Padre O'Moran. He's written a book called Kindfulness and he writes, um, add mindfulness to self-compassion and you have that powerful combination called kindfulness. Do you practice mindfulness and the breathing technique maybe that we did earlier? Would they be part of your talks in schools or your work in schools? I do practice a lot of mindfulness meditation. Like even before coming on this podcast, we, me and Daryl just did a couple of minutes 
you were in the waiting room there, but I was like, you can, you can have to wait a few minutes. Uh, just <laughs> because I feel it's important if I'm doing something like a talk or a workshop or a podcast, I want to be present in with the people I'm doing it with. So I often, or even if I was doing coaching calls there for a while, it was like, I'd always do it before the call. I even do it now, calls with my girlfriend, Megan. So I said, I want to be present with her. So say I'm doing a lot of work and I'm busy. I don't want to just hop on a call and be like half there and half still thinking about what I was just doing. So I'm like, that can be only two or three minutes. Mm-hmm. I'm just listening to like a relaxing song and I just remind myself, what am I doing now? And what do I want to be, who do I want to be present with now? And it makes such a difference, even like three minutes. And because I'm just in that moment and I can experience it fully. So it's like a huge thing for me is just doing those meditations like in the morning. I'd usually sometimes I do a guided one, depending on how I'm feeling, like a gratitude meditation. If I feel I'm not being grateful enough at the time, I'll move into some gratitude meditations or I'll just I do a lot of visualization of what I want for my future as well. So I stand outside there, especially in the sun, it's lovely, and just close my eyes and put my earphones in. There's a song by Lane 8 called Midnight, and I just listen to that song and visualize all the good things I have in my life and just focus on them and then move into what I would like in my future. And it just sets me up for the day and it makes me more present, less reactive, more aware of what's important. And as well as that, you mentioned breathwork. I'm actually at the moment doing a course called Empower Breathwork with a fella that we're good mates with, Leo Ryan. So he's a breathing specialist and that's been so powerful. Like it's like one every Thursday for like an hour and a half, we do breath work and it just brings up things that maybe are in your subconscious or that's kind of bugging you. And it kind of just gives you insights into things that maybe you're worried about and also like visions for your future and stuff like that. It just makes you feel relaxed and connected to yourself after. And I found it so like healing and also just feeling really grounded and gets rid of all those stresses of the week. So it's definitely something, the breathwork part, something that's I've only been doing maybe the last year or so, incorporating different types of breathwork, but I feel it's something that I'll definitely incorporate more, like just to kind of flush out that week's stress and reconnect with yourself and why you're here. Because I think it's so easy, like even at the minute, I'm getting caught up in things. And I think there's nearly too many things I want to do over the summer that I feel pulled in every direction and I'm not centered. So I'm, I'm like, tomorrow I'm going to just sit down with my journal, have a nice meditation and journal and just reconnect to like, what are you doing? Like, what do you want to do? Like you can, there's those opportunities for me at the minute. So I'm like, what do I actually want to do? So um, I found them, them mindfulness things so important just to reconnect with because you, you go off track, like it's, it's just natural. Like life pulls you in different directions. So it's always, having those practices to reconnect with what you want to do. Fantastic. So is there another poem different from the one that Daryl shared that you'd like to share from your new poetry book? Yeah. So I have a couple of poems in here and I think this one is good for what we're talking about. It's called the washing machine and kind of represents what I talked about in terms of how before I went traveling, and not having that confidence in myself and not really knowing who I was. And then 
after I came back from traveling. I, I don't like explaining poems too much, but sometimes sometimes I think there's benefit to it. But it was just, I remember coming back from traveling and sitting in the sitting room and hearing the washing machine. And it was just a memory of like, it's like, I know that sound so well. I haven't heard it in years. Um, but it was like my home washing machine. So that was just kind of what triggered it. So I'll read it now. The washing machine rumbles as it goes round and round. To my younger self, it's a familiar sound. Casting me back to a time before travel. When my world was one town and my eyes faced through gravel. When I couldn't see the sky hidden behind the clouds. When I always asked why and I couldn't hold my shoulders proud. Now that I've grown, I can look up from the ground. My shoulders stand alone with the inner strength I've found. Through wide and open eyes, I see beauty in the rain. I can now walk a lonely road without any pain. The washing machine still rumbles as it spins round and round. Like the world has always done. Only now I hear a different sound. Um, amazing. Brilliant. Yes. Mm, that's good one. It's just amazing how poetry can say things in the ways that if you shared what you've been on by just speaking, mm. it wouldn't have the same impact as you sharing that poem. So yeah. it's beautiful. Thank you. Yes. Oh, so I work as a support worker with people with learning disabilities and part of my job, I experience the joy of singing, dancing and laughing a lot with them. What brings you joy? And do you think as adults, we need to be more playful and laugh more? Yeah, it's such a good question. And I was actually just on a call with someone there and he was asking about the course me and Daryl created last year's Mind Body Transformation. And I was telling him about the lesson on day three that I had. I did like the mind section and Daryl did the body. And my day three lesson was jo on joy and like what joy is to me. And I feel like joy is the happiness you feel when you're fully present in the moment. And I got people that were doing the course, I got them to do an exercise, was to write down 20 things that bring them joy. And so many people said to me after the course, it was like 21 lessons, said that that was one of their favorite exercises because they never really took the time to sit down and think, what does actually bring me joy? Because we sometimes we just wait for these moments to happen, but it's like when you actually know what brings you joy, like just go do those things. So for me, like stuff like reading, writing, uh, listening to music, meeting with my friends, going on a hike, uh, going sea swimming, I have the van now again. So going off in the van with my girlfriend, just not having any plan and um, watching sunsets. Like they're all simple things, even just sitting with a cup of coffee and sitting in the coffee shop and looking around and just drinking the coffee. So they're just a lot of simple things I love to do. But mm. even saying it now, I'm like, I'm not doing a lot of them things at the minute because, you know, I've just been going with life has got a lot of things coming up at the same time. And it's just a reminder myself, I need to take the time to do those things that bring me joy or else I won't be any good to anyone else. I won't be able to help people as much if I'm not in that place because 
just recently in one of the Brightwork sessions, Leo said something to me about, it kind of came up for me that I'm not filling up my cup. Another way to say you need to fill your cup up so you can fill others up. I was kind of filling it up a little bit and then pouring it out to other people. And I think Leo said it after, he's like, you should overflow your cup. Fill it up so much with so much joy and love that you feel unbelievable. And then it will overspill into other people's lives. Instead of just mm-hmm. saying, oh, I'll take the time to, you know, I'll take one day off and go back and do a load of work just to keep myself sane. It's like, well, fill yourself up fully and then your joy will spread to other people because you want to help others when you're in that state, you know? You're not, nothing feels like a chore. You're just like buzzing. So that's what I have to work on is doing more things for myself and not thinking it's selfish to just focus on myself because it's actually going to help more people in the long run and I'll enjoy my life because if I'm not enjoying it, then um, I can't really help people in the way I want to help them. Yeah. Great. So sister Helen Prigion, she's the author of a book, which became the film Dead Man Walking, said about her work with death row inmates, the best gift we ever give each other is our presence. Mm -hmm. And we all along for that people's undivided attention to, to, to be present to us. Husbands and wives want it, children want it from their parents. Students want it from their teachers. Presence, to be able to be present. It has so taught me that over these years, because you've got a cement floor, you've got bars, you've got the two of you, and you learn to flow with the conversation and be present, let the time be filled. You're not living in this anticipatory thing of, oh, well, I've got one more hour. We're going to be here two hours. You're just like a boat. You get on a current and you go with the conversation. It's taught me a lot about presence and living in the present moment. So also, she also said that the opposite of that is to be with someone and not present. Say, for example, that they're on their phone, they're with you, but they're texting on their phone. And I kind of wondered what you, if you had any reflections on what she said and on the mobile phone thing. Yeah, that's such a brilliant quote or to be present with someone is the best gift you can give them. And I, I would completely agree with it. And I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I strive for presence, like with people, like, as I said, meditate before the phone call. And I feel like today we're just getting worse at being present. I think a lot, like you hear a lot, like technology has lots of benefits, obviously, but it has taken away that ability to be present because we're so reactive to notifications, to emails, messages, and we're addicted to that dopamine hit of who's texting me. Even when we're in the presence of one of our friends, like I just, I notice now if you go to a coffee shop or even in the pub or whatever, wherever I am, like a lot of people just have their phone sitting on the table and you're like, so you're basically saying to me that if that rings, I'm gonna pick it up and I'm not gonna listen to what you're saying. Like this is has my attention more than you. And like, whenever I go places to meet people, I just keep the phone in the pocket. And if it rings, I might check because it could be important, but I'm not fucking on it, checking messages and like checking my Instagram. Like, and I feel we just have lost that ability to be present. And yet I notice, like I get on like so well with people, like so- certain friends I have, like Robbie and Stephen McDonald and two of them. Like we'd be really close mates with it. And I, I just remember, yeah, we're like, they're kind of like part of our family almost like the four brothers and that them two lads. 
And I just remember like whenever they come over to the house, you're just like, geez, it feels so much better after they come over. And you're like, you just love when they come over. And I was like, why is that? And I was like, it's because they're so present. They're so engaged in what you're saying. They're just curious about what you have to say or if you're telling a story. Even I feel sometimes I'm rambling a bit, but they're actually still like just present. Whereas you just feel that and it just connects people. Whereas in other situations where people you feel like they're half giving you their attention and like they don't really care and you're just, it's just a, not a real connection at all. So I find it's such a strength that like, as we talked about at the start about the school system, like that's such a, a powerful thing to have in a person to build that presence and curiosity. And it's just a, such an amazing thing to experience. And that's where those real friendships and real bonds are built in those moments where you're fully present. And as society, we have kind of gone off thinking that the phone is like almost holds our presence more than the people in our lives. And I feel like we do need to take note of that, of how powerful it is, first of all, because sometimes I get it. I, I still get addicted to it at times. Like I delete my Instagram sometimes because I'm just like, I'm just, it's too addictive. And I know that I'm not powerful enough to stop those chemicals in the brain. And I just feel better when I'm off it and you can still get the balance, you know, but when you're with people, like just in their presence, just keep the phone off the table kind of thing. That's my view of it. And it's mm. helps my relationships a lot. It's such a simple thing that that's why it's overlooked where the juice of life lies is in those moments. And we often just miss them. Yeah. Brilliant. So do you, do you think some cultures and countries are better at talking about death and when you die, is there a song you'd like played and a poem read? Yeah, this is actually something I've been talking about a lot. I'm talking about death a lot recently, but not in a morbid way. In a, I find it's very empowering to think about. This song I used to play reminded me of doing ayahuasca, which for me was like a death experience. But it reminded me of how fleeting life is and therefore this day just embrace it like it's quite cliche maybe you know live as if your last day but i don't really do that i kind of live as if like you don't know how many you have left so just make sure you're being true to yourself for some reason i always said the song i wanted played at my funeral was the parting glass like it's a drinking song by liam clancy and i used to just love it i liked singing it myself and i just think the lyrics are great because it's kind of saying celebrate my life you know to all the comrades that i've met it's kind of like a looking back as like a celebration and saying don't mourn my life celebrate it and drink together in my memory what's wrong with our culture in the western culture we like try to avoid death at all costs and keep people alive for as long as possible and as if death is something that should be really feared and it doesn't matter if you're if you can't even think anymore, but you should just keep people alive. Whereas in other cultures, they see death as just a passing into the next life. Say in the in Mexico, they think if you keep telling stories about people, they don't die until you stop telling the stories. And I think that's a nicer way of looking at it is like people are passing into the next life, celebrate their life and remember who they were and tell stories about them and embrace death as a part of life and don't fear it just accept that it's going to happen because as soon as you accept it you can really live because you're not afraid of it anymore you're not just trying to survive you're here to live and thrive and then the poem 
if there was a poem as well, there's one called The Dash. And I don't know it off the top of my head, but I just remember my friend Tien said someone read it at a, a funeral he was at. And it just basically talks about how life is a dash from here to there. And you just try to fit in as many things as possible on, on the way through. So, yeah. Brilliant. Thanks. So final questions to you both. We spend so long talking to ourselves. Is there a question you'd like to ask yourself? And is there a question, Daryl, you would like to ask Cormac? And Cormac, you would like to ask Daryl? Do I get to talk now? Cormac <laughs> 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 so, in the Florida. I'll let Cormac ask me first now. Oh, you can ask me. Yeah. You? Yeah. Um, so myself and Cormac were talking last week, actually, and Cormac said something to me about how the two of us, obviously, we fell out for a, like for different reasons as we were growing up. It was never like for too long we'd fall out and we'd be friends again. And basically, when I started acting out, when I started drinking a lot and causing a lot of trouble at home, we obviously bumped heads then. I was a bit of an asshole older brother, even when I was younger at times. Looking back now, it's I had resentments because I wasn't getting the attention. Do you know? I was my three younger brothers. So I know that now, but at the time I didn't know that. Cormac didn't know that. Like I was just being a fucking cunt. Do you know? Like really bad at times. And Cormac said to me last week, he's like, We probably still have deep down resentments towards each other for different things, do you know? Um I didn't think much of it and thinking down I was like, Oh, there probably is little things, like, you know, that both of us are holding on to. And so I just thought then, I was like, maybe I'm gonna ask Cormac, if there's one thing off the top of your head that I've done to you that you don't understand why. Like you you still to this day question, why did Daryl do that to me? Fuck. Um So you used to like if I did something or said something, you just hit me or whatever. And that'd be it. I wouldn't react because I was just like, well, if I hit him back, he's just going to hit me back until he wins. You know what I mean? Like, even if I won the fight, you'd always make sure you got the last, like you finished it basically. So you're going to hurt me more than I hurt you. Like, so it just never ends. So I just had to, so my reaction was like, well, I'll just let him hit me once because it's either it's going to hit me three times versus me and my two. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I just didn't bother reacting then. And I remember just once you threw a shoe at me for some reason. You said, like, I don't know, I said something and you got taken through a shoe at me. And I just said, fuck this. I was like, I'm sick of not retaliating. Mm. I just fucking threw it back. I was like, what the fuck are you throwing that at me for? And I threw it back. And then next thing you fucking came over, sitting on the couch and then you came over and just started boxing my head into the couch. Until Sean came in and pulled you off, I think, or Owen. Owen. I don't know, that just stands out. It was something small that I said, and you, or I didn't answer you, and you just threw the shoe at me, and I just retaliated, and I just, I just remember that memory for some reason as, like, one of the worst ones, because I was like, what did I do to deserve these punches in the head? Like, I just did what you did to me, and I suppose at the time, I was just like, like what, did, what the fuck did I do wrong kind of thing? So that was... The only thing that popped into my head. I remember that yeah. crystal clear. But my memory is completely different. Oh, yeah? I've told that story yeah. numerous times because that actually stood out for me as well. It was Sean was trying to pull me off and Owen rugby tapped me into the TV over there. Oh, yeah. Um, But 
what I remember from that is it's just it's a lot different than just you saying something to me. Mm. I asked you, could I use your football boots? Oh yes. And you got annoyed and pissed off. In my memory, yeah. right? You were kind of like, "Fuck! Like, why do you why do you need to use my stuff?" Mm. I probably did ask for the stuff a lot. You know what I mean? Or I took it or whatever. Maybe that's why Cormac yeah. was annoyed. And I got so annoyed with Cormac's reaction to the football boots that I actually got through the football boot at you. Oh, that was it, actually. That was and then actually. I remember, right? Cormac, Cormac said something back, like cussed at me or whatever. And I remember walking up to him, just thinking, I don't know, I was going to shout at him or something. And he punched me straight in the face. Oh, really? Yeah. He punched me straight in the face in <laughs> anger. And then I did. I took it way too far. Like, way too far. I kind of... We ended up on the couch then, and yeah, I, I did what Cormac said then. I just took it fucking way too far. But I threw the shoe at him first, but I remember, I just remember the shock of walking up and Cormac jabbing me in the mouth. <laughs> I wasn't expecting it. Did I? I don't yeah. I remember that's, the football boots, my, but I don't remember my, hitting you. For, I don't that's remember my, hitting you. That's my memory. I think you threw it at me, and I picked <laughs> it up and threw it back. Mm, that did happen, yeah. Unless that's what hit me in the mouth. I think it might have hit you. Yeah, maybe that. I think the football boot hit you and then you came over and pummeled me. <laughs> well, anyway. It's funny. It's funny how Jeez. the memories are different, but like... You yeah. should have a fight now on camera. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, have you got boxing? Have you got a pair of boxing gloves there? Let me yeah. tell you one thing. The reason I told that story a few times, it would be, it was to, it was only ever to girls that I was with. Now, not very many, just a couple, but like... Because it would be a story I would say when I'm talking about how much of an asshole I felt I was. There's a few, t- well, a lot of things that I've done to Cormac Owen and Sean that I felt incredibly guilty. It's not that I don't feel guilty now, but I'm kind of like, there's no point in, like, I didn't know any better, you know, at the time. Like, there's no, I can't change it. So I'm trying to, like, let go of that guilt because that dragged me down something serious. A lot of the time when I was in a bad, bad, that would like session or whatever where I was drinking by myself and I was hating on myself which I did so much like there's so many things that I did to them that I bring into that and I used them as excuses to keep going because a lot of this thing I did was dwell on things and, and that was one of them so I didn't even know if Cormac remembered that because obviously I didn't want to bring it up and there is other things that I've done to the other boys as well that sometimes I think about and I nearly have to pull out my phone I just want to text them straight away and say, look, do you remember that time? I'm actually so fucking sorry. And I don't do it often. There was one time I was in treatment and I thought about something basically very similar to what Carmen just said. And I'd done it to Owen and I actually had to run down to the room, but I know phone, like there's no communication when you're in there, you're cut off from the outside world. So I had to run down to my room, write a letter, go up and send it. Like I couldn't relax just because the feeling of guilt was overpowering. Like I couldn't even sit there. I had to run down, write the letter. But um, I'm sorry about that. Ah, no worries. I forgive you. I think. <laughs> I, know, I do. I, I, I don't know. I think, yeah, for me, the anger just came because you were taking my football boots and I just, I still, to this day, get that little trigger of annoyance when people take my things because Daryl always used to do it. Like, he just take my clothes and whatever, ask him. But now when people take them, it just gives me like a little, like, uh, you know, yeah, just like yeah. a reaction that I still have. I obviously work, have to work on as well. There's a book that I'd recommend, but maybe to both of you, that it's um, by Desmond Tutu. It's called The Book of Forgiving. And in it, they talk about a four-stage path. We tell our stories, we name our hurt, we restore a relationship, or you either forgive or you just you let it, you let it go and you, you let the, that, that person go. But 
it felt a little bit kind of like that. I think it's really brave of you to take that step. And I think both of you, like in such a short space within this, these journeys take a long time to be at a place to use different ways. What's beautiful about the book is it uses poetry, it uses rituals, it uses stories. And um, so that was really something really powerful about you kind of, that as your question, it needed to be shared and how you were able to, in some ways we hold on to what we have as something that this is our story, this is what is. Mm. What's really interesting is that when you both listen to each other, you came up to actually hear, oh, that was that. That was, it's like the sto your stories weren't, as you probably both, from what I hear, you both are holding different stories, yeah. but you were both able to really listen to each other. And because you were able to really listen to each other, mm. when you when you said, you're really sorry and stuff. It was really genuine, it was from the heart. It was a beautiful thing in that short space of time for me to witness and just hear that it, it did. I felt there was pain from both of you. Both of you were feeling pain, reliving that. But it says a lot about both of your journeys that you're at a point where you were able to, to listen to each other and to hold what you both have been saying. So thank you both for, for, for kind of sharing that. Cheers, Charlie. Um, I've just got time then. Yeah. Right. So we've just got time then for, for you to ask, yeah, for, yeah. for Cormac then to ask, ask Daryl a question. Yeah. So um, I just want to ask, it's a bit more lighthearted, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> so if you were to live and work somewhere else in the world, where would it be and what would you do? Oh, I don't even know why I'm thinking about this. <laughs> um, it would be in Africa with animals, hundred mm. um, percent. Preferably, I'd love to. I'd love to go over because obviously there's loads of endangered animals in Africa now, like lions um, and that kind of thing. And I'd love to go over and help with that. Not just specifically lions; there, they'd be what I'd think of straight away. But like even elephants, rhinos. Rhinos, yeah, they're well. The white rhinos practically extinct. There's only a couple of females left, so it will be. But I'd love to do some work with animals, like even if it was helping the, the lads, like keep the poachers out or whatever. Like we, you know, that visualization, the life purpose, purpose one. Mm. So it's a visualization you go through to find your life purpose, and this angel comes down and opens a box for you. But it was like. When mine, it was just like a little lion cub jumped out, and in my head it was like, "Help lions or help animals in Africa." That's what came to my head, and it's something I've always been fascinated about since I was a little kid. I always remember my father Michael Mick, big Mick. Me and him used to <laughs> me and him used to sit and watch animal shows. I remember he actually it was like our way of bonding, kind of, because I I remember we never had much of a a speaking relationship. But whenever there was a nature show in, even if I was outside playing, Mick could call me in to watch it. And he used to love that. I probably never actually told him that. Definitely. I didn't know that. Definitely. Yeah. And we used to just watch the nature shows. And I, like, I just, from when I was a kid, like five, four years old, I was young, I just loved them and animals. And yeah, if I had to live and work somewhere else doing that, I think that's what it'd be. Like, I'd, I'd love to do something like that sometime in my life, you know? Nice. That's good. Brilliant. 
Thanks, guys. Thanks for, yeah. for letting me ask you the questions and stuff. Yeah. No, that's cool. Just, Thanks for um, coming up with the questions and taking the time to do that, Charlie. Yeah, it's great but, questions. Yeah, it Very got good. got us thinking, like you know. And yeah. both of you, um, inspirational guys. Just both of you gave really, you know, the work you're doing, the answers you've given, the journeys that you're on. Um, amazing.